Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. On this episode, we are going to be bringing you the interview with a very special young man who is preparing to serve his mission. His name is Jackson Washburn. I want to give a couple little teaser hints, some trivia bits about the mission that our guest was called to serve in, and let's see if you can guess it before he announces it in the episode. His current mission president is going to be Alan B. Bostrom, and the statistics for this area as of 2015, there are only 3,344 members of the church, one mission, 11 congregations, and four family history centers. There's not a lot of membership of the church where he's going. Let's see if you can guess where that is. Our guest is an interesting young man, and I can't wait to share this interview with you. So we're going to go ahead right to it now, my interview with Jackson Washburn. Our guest on this episode is a young man preparing to serve his mission, and he's uh, active already online in missionary work and interfaith work. His name is Jackson Washburn, and we want to welcome him all the way from the great state of Arizona. And uh, so welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure. So I know that you are, you, you, we'll get into where you've been called a little bit later, but you are one of those, I would call them a rare individual uh, at your age, where you are very engaged in not just being a voice for the gospel online, but you've made quite a study of the gospel, including LDS apologetics or defense of the faith stuff and, and a lot of heavier subjects. What got you so interested and captivated by your study of the gospel? Well, um, you know, I can kind of trace it back to uh, when I was 12 years old and uh, my mom converted from uh, Mormonism to evangelical Christianity. Um, really? Yeah. So she left the church. It was, you know, up until that point, I had been raised in a fully Mormon, fully active uh, household um, with, uh, you know, kind of Latter-day Saint uh, ancestry going back many generations on both sides. And, uh, you know, I, I had a really normal upbringing. I was born in Utah. And, um, yeah, my mom uh, left the church. And, uh, and you know, there's maybe some different issues she had had, whether uh, on a social level or maybe a doctrinal or a historical level. And, and all of them just kind of came together. And uh, she experienced a, a loss of faith, but then a, a, a gaining of, of new faith and a different faith, right? So uh, from that point forward, uh, me and my siblings— were raised in an interfaith household. Uh, we would go to both churches every week, and I became just as involved uh, throughout my teenage years within the evangelical community as I was within the Latter-day Saint community. And this was when you were 12, you said? Yeah, it started when I was 12. That's when my mom officially left the church, um, and that's you know when I started attending other churches as well. So you say interfaith because your father continued to go? To, to mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, my parent, my parents stayed married, and um, so they just raised us uh, within their respective worldviews and allowed us to kind of uh, choose which one we we would follow, if any of them, um, and we would just go to church with both of them. Um, usually, we would switch off every other Sunday, but I was kind of of the age where these. Uh, larger questions about religion and truth and, you know, uh, which of all the churches is right. 
was really pressing on my mind, and uh, so usually I would attend both churches on Sunday. That seems very uh, Joseph Smith in your language of that, that you, you maybe even felt <laughs> yeah. similarly in, in a divided household in that sense of, of oh, different Oh, for religions. sure. I, I, I absolutely did. And, uh, you know, there was times where I wasn't sure about what I felt um, regarding Joseph Smith. I wasn't sure, you know, if I thought he was a good guy, a bad guy a confused guy, whatever. But uh, I, I knew for a while that, you know, regardless of my feelings with him, I could at least relate to him in his earlier years when uh, uh, he likewise felt a lot of confusion about which church was true, which path he should go on. And, you know, so I did feel solidarity to that extent, you know, during my teenage years with him. Were you in, in this time period growing up for, I would imagine, a few years and on into high school years, were you finding any particular social pressure or maybe even criticisms from either side of the the divided household, if you will, regarding the other faith? Was that part of the the dialogue that you saw with some type of combativeness between the the two sides? Yeah. So my parents, you know, I I can say that religion did cause some tension in our household, right? Um, And it was a new dynamic, this kind of uh, split faith family it was a new dynamic that we had to get used to and, and come to understand. You know, I, I, I would say generally things were, were pretty good, mainly just because religion became more or less of a taboo subject in our household where, you know, things were peaceful because both parents made sure to give the other parent space, but then also to not be intrusive and not to push or pressure any of us kids in one direction or the other, right? Yeah. And so they were respectful to each other in that extent. Um, I could always approach, you know, a parent and talk to them about their faith and their beliefs and, you know, what led them to either be a member of the church or to stop being a member of the church. And definitely for my mom, the pressing question was, at least on my mind, um, that I sought to understand was, you know, what what would cause, you know, uh, my mom, who had been raised in the church and been a member all her life, right, so more than 30 years at that point, what what would cause her to you know maybe doubt that or step away from that or lose faith in that and so in a in an attempt to understand her better get some closure and, and solidarity with her I started reading a lot of uh, uh, literature and consuming you know media that uh, approached uh, the restored gospel from uh, more of a critical perspective or or at times you know maybe an anti Mormon perspective right and definitely I. I was introduced to kind of both Christian apologetics and Mormon apologetics through these conversations I would have with members at the LDS church, but then also at my mom's local church. It, it, it was always uh, kind of funny because I always felt more supported in going to other churches other than the LDS church by you know my fellow Mormons than I ever felt supported by the different Christians at my mom's church. And, you know, that, that's, I, I, I don't use that to, to generalize anything about either faith group, but uh, that was just my experience with the respective communities that uh, the Latter-day Saints were generally more supportive of my efforts to investigate other religions than maybe the, the Christians were at this particular church. So um, one thing that was interesting is that about every semester or every quarter or so, uh, there would be sermons at my mom's church about Mormonism and about you know what Mormons believe, and usually they were they were very respectful, but at times there might be some misinformation there, or you know even if they were accurate, it was uh, it was a new experience for me to 
to hear other religions talked about at the pulpit and maybe a critiquing way. Yeah. You know, and that's something I, I fully support their right to do, but it was just a new experience for me. And even though they were respective at the time, respectful, I kind of had to get used to hearing people disagree with me openly, right? And and that was maybe difficult for me at times. Now I'm, you know, pretty comfortable with it, but uh, I, I had to make sure that I didn't take things personally that I understood that this was just theology that we're talking about and that, you know, they weren't criticizing me as a person. And I, I definitely went out of my way to talk with different, you know, youth leaders or pastors or uh, different leaders um, within the kind of non-denominational church I was attending to talk with them about their faith, about how they came to where they're at, their thoughts about uh, Mormonism and, and whatnot. So during this time, I, you know, I, I read Von Brody, I read uh, Richard Bushman's Rough Stone Rolling, I consumed a lot of maybe countercult literature from uh, the more conservative evangelical right, and uh, there was a period of about uh, several months where, you know, I'm listening to all this and I'm consuming it, and it was kind of just feeling really suffocating for me, and one day I just came across a site called Fair Mormon. And I started listening to podcasts and reading articles there. And it was exactly what I had wanted and needed at the time. It was answering my questions. It was, you know, providing me sources for information and and defending the restored gospel from a, you know, from a faithful perspective, right? Yeah. It's actually around the same time I got introduced to uh, uh, many old podcasts that you had done, Nick, for yeah. Fairmore. And so, you know, I've, I've been listening to, to your voice and <laughs> I've known who you are for for many years now, you know, so I just, I just started really diving into LDS apologetics and, and really tried to research it for myself. And I I would say my years of what I would consider faith crisis, where I didn't know where my faith was at and what my journey looked like and where I would end up, you know, I, I'd say that probably lasted from the age of 12 to maybe 16 or so. It was around 16 when I, when I would consider myself having gained more of a testimony and uh, where I would consider myself being comfortable identifying as a Latter-day Saint. And, you know, I kind of felt like that was the the path that I was needing to to take for the time being and, you know, up till now even, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's been a long process, but uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful and I consider it a, a, a big blessing in my life, not just to have gone through that, but for my mom to have been honest and authentic with herself enough to follow what she believed was true for herself. Um, You know, and I I support her agency to do that. And it led to, you know, experiences that I've had where I really feel blessed for having gone through those maybe, you know, trials. Uh, They felt like trials at times, right? It wasn't necessarily easy for me to try and figure all this out at at especially a young age, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I know a lot of people who maybe have only gone through maybe a faith crisis or or really down the rabbit hole of LDS apologetics and, you know, critical literature against the church, uh, maybe in their 30s or so. Uh, but I, I kind of got exposed to it a lot younger than that. And that was difficult. But, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that I went through that. And uh, I've tried to make the most out of it since. So, yeah, my parents have since uh, divorced, but not on the grounds of religion. And they've remarried, and so now I have a 
two regular siblings and seven step siblings. Wow. And, you know, I still kind of have an interfaith dynamic going on. My dad is remarried to an, a Latter day Saint woman, and my mom uh, is remarried uh, to also an ex Mormon. He's more of a secular atheist. Um, and so rather than kind of like a Christian Mormon dynamic now, more it's now more of a secular religious dynamic. But I love all my family members. We get along great. And what's just nice and what I really appreciate that all of us have done is we've just made space for each other to believe what we believe and identify how we you know, feel like we should identify. And uh, so I wouldn't say religion is a point of tension in either of my households. And so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Well, this is like a, the story of a, a kind of a crash course MTC because you, you had for years the opportunity to interact with people of other faiths, which is a lot of what missionary work is, obviously, right. is, is trying to navigate the gospel message in a world of several different worldviews and religious mm-hmm. views and things like that. So you have had some very unique experiences. And one of the things that we mentioned in the introduction is that you have done some interfaith work on a council there in the Arizona area. And in fact, we have a mutual friend uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that is from a different faith that I, I work with when I do go and do sound jobs. And, and he, uh, when I told him that you were coming on the podcast, he said, oh my gosh, He's such an amazing young man. We're so happy for him to go on his mission, and we're we're excited to hear the, all the stories. And like he's 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 not a member of the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and uh, he yet he's he's incredibly supportive of you. And that's an interesting step to get to when you talk about interfaith dialogue, because <laughs> it's it's not always the case that we hear people of other faiths sort of cheering us on in our missionary right. efforts. And and yet that was his experience with you. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious what brought you to that interfaith experience or that interfaith council and what has been your role on that council? Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm currently the youth advisor for the Arizona interfaith movement. Once I leave on my mission, right, I'll, I'll have to step away from that position, but maybe in the future I can step back to it. And uh, I, I've been on it for maybe a year or so, maybe a little less. I, I was introduced to the Arizona interfaith movement when I was at the Parliament of the World's Religions back in 2015 uh, in October. Uh, I, I did a presentation there. It was actually my first big public presentation about interfaith and about youth. And it was titled, uh, I, I taught a 45-minute seminar at the, the Parliament of World Religions. It was held in Salt Lake City, Utah, actually. But my whole introduction into kind of interfaith activism started, you know, around the same time that I'm, I was engaging in a lot of uh, personal research as far as religion goes. And so it ties directly into my own faith journey. I was going to a, a really diverse school, uh, a very diverse high school, um, and I was a, a sophomore when I decided that maybe uh, because I have these diverse friends, I was one of four Mormons in my grade at the time. Because I had such a diverse group of friends, you know, who were different kinds of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, non-religious individuals, we would sit around and talk to each other at lunch and just talk about our experiences and talk about our beliefs and our culture. And and so we were kind of having uh, very informal dialogues, you know, just at lunchtime and at school about uh, who we were and and it kind of brought uh, a lot of our worldviews into discussion with one another. And I was really curious, not just to attend my mom's church and the LDS church at the time, but to you know experience other religions and, and just really trying to 
explore for myself. So through these conversations, me and my friends decided to kind of put some structure to it. And so we we organized what was called the the World Religion and Tolerance Society. And it was a high school interfaith group for students of of religious and non-religious backgrounds to come together for dialogue and service and and just to educate each other about what they believed in in a safe and open environment. And so I was able to eventually expand that to three different high schools, two in Arizona and one in Richmond, Virginia. And I was able to speak at venues like the the Parliament of the World's Religions, the United Nations, and and several other kind of interfaith conferences um, in different parts of the U.S. about the role that high schoolers and just youth in general uh, can and should play in establishing interfaith dialogue and promoting values of, of pluralism and understanding with each other. And so, you know, I, I was really involved in kind of interfaith activism throughout my high school career. Leading into college, I became the the vice president of uh, ASU's interfaith student group called Sun Devils Are Better Together. And that was around the same time that I became the youth advisor for the Arizona interfaith movement. So it's just been something I've been really involved with in, in a lot of different areas. And I've really tried to promote these values both in kind of interfaith spaces and outside of them. I'm currently getting my bachelor's in religious studies from Arizona State University. So uh, all these things, my interfaith activism, my passion to learn about and study and, you know, eventually teach religions, all of it stems back to kind of getting introduced to another worldview at a very young age uh, with with mom becoming a a Christian, right? So, um, you know, all, all these things that I that I consider myself uh, very fortunate and, and blessed to have experienced and and to make a, an active part of my life, right? I can trace that all back to kind of my more formative years uh, as an early teenager. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, where the journey takes me. But uh, as far as what I do with uh, the Arizona interfaith movement, I kind of just represent uh, youth around the state of Arizona, either different events that uh, the Arizona interfaith movement holds or or other spaces that I'm that I'm called to kind of represent them in, and so I, I work with high schoolers and, and college age students uh, regarding interfaith values, and I network people together. You know, any youth that are interested in kind of exploring and becoming more involved with interfaith efforts, I, I kind of I'm the representative and individual who kind of reaches out to them and, and allows them to do that. So. Very cool. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a very fun position, and on the council, geez, I, I want to say there's more than a dozen different worldviews uh, represented, and I've been able to make some some really great friends. We meet together monthly for our meetings, and we just discuss what we as a movement uh, can do better as far as serving our communities. We plan uh, upcoming events, and uh, we just talk about the needs that our respective faith communities might currently have. And we also talk about what needs the, the larger uh, communities that we live in uh, might might need from us as well. So if there's any incidents of, of maybe uh, hate speech or violence or maybe uh, religious bigotry or whatnot, um, a while back, for instance, there was some anti-Semitic acts that were, um, that were carried out where uh, a menorah in front of a, a Jewish family's home was was turned into a, a swastika by uh, some vandals. Uh, we were able to make like a rapid response team and and get the community 
uh, engaged in reaching out to um, this family and, and showing them that, uh, you know, uh, there's many faith communities here that care about their well-being and that even though they might not be Jewish, right, they, they support their capacity to live and practice and identify in the religious faith that they've chosen. So uh, we just try and support individuals in doing that, and we promote the, the values of the golden rule. Cool. Well, you are in definitely a unique situation. As I, I can't imagine many youth have traveled a very similar path to you, but there, there is something to be said about what this does as a preparation for you as a, a missionary. And we'll get it. We'll get into your mission call in just a second. But I am still a little curious. Is is there any particular thing, or is there a moment or a story that happened about? I guess the time when you say you were sixteen, where you felt more solidified in your faith? Was there something in particular that was key to to that solidifying of your testimony? Um, you know, I, I can't point to any singular moment where I feel like I had some type of uh, really powerful divine witness or, or experience. But I can definitely say that uh, it was through the years of feeling like I was sludging through the trenches, and I was really wrestling and trying to gain, you know, uh, as as much ground in the realm of faith that I could, uh, even if it felt like it was just inch by inch. It was through that whole process that I felt more and more connected with God, you know, because I, I was doing a lot of studying and a lot of research. And so uh, besides just reading and listening to podcasts and YouTube videos and all kinds of things, you know, besides just kind of the, the intellectual side of what I was engaged in, I, I, you know, it was very much a spiritual process for me too. And you know, I just remember many, many nights where I was engaged in sincere prayer, just asking um, Heavenly Father for some a sense of direction or guidance or or maybe uh, confidence and and where he would have me be led. And and over just many months and, and even years of, of trying to gain any kind of footing, you know, I, I can't point to a specific day, but eventually it just started clicking, you know, where I just I just started having more confidence and I felt like I, I could say that I, I had a testimony and that these things uh, really meant something to me. But but definitely my, my testimony and, and the different aspects of it, looking back now, you know, um, it, it feels like those were kind of kind of forged in the furnace, if you will, right? Yeah, and I okay. had to, I had to work and fight for every 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 bit of them. And so that was just a very tender and a very sacred process for me, really. you know, so yeah, no, no singular, event, I would say. But I, I, I definitely have many, many youth leaders from, from both communities, really, to, to thank for their their guidance and their their advice and their help during that process. I, I can look to several individuals as kind of spiritual mentors during that time, you know, when I felt uh, really maybe concerned or lost or confused or just kind of hopeless, right? They, they kept me going and, and they kept me feeling like it was like it was all worth it, right? Right. And, uh, so you know, I there's many spiritual giants that I feel like uh, uh, I'm only where I'm at because they kind of pushed me there and they helped me there. Cool. So let's get a let's get to your mission call. So yeah. you when did you get it? Um, it was uh, geez, uh, it was a couple months ago. <laughs> I'm blanking on specifically what month what month it was. I want to say it was uh, June. Yeah, I want to say it was June. Um, well, okay, so now we're we're recording this at the end of August, and you're not actually leaving for your mission for a couple more months even. 
Yeah, no, not not until October 3rd is when I report to the Provo MTC. And uh, so go ahead and announce where you're serving and what language you'll be speaking. So I was called to serve in the uh, Georgia-Armenia mission, and I will be an Armenian-speaking full-time missionary there, um, and I'm expected to serve for the regular two years. Excellent. Now, I have to admit that that's not a... I, I can't remember anybody else that I know of that I've heard recently <laughs> called to Armenia. So what exactly were your responses to that mission call? Oh, geez. Well, uh, when I was opening my mission call, I did what a lot of people might do. And, you know, I posted on Facebook and it was kind of live streamed. And so a lot of people were guessing as to where I was, you know, going to be sent. Did anybody get it right? No, no one got it right. And there was a, a couple hundred guesses, uh, including my own guess. I, I guess the Philippines, just because I had an interesting dream once where I uh, was serving in the Philippines. And so I thought it'd be cool to guess that and maybe get it right. But no, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't meant to be. It was just a dream. But uh, yeah, no, I was so shocked when I opened my call and read that I was going to be serving in Armenia. Quite literally, that was the last place <laughs> I expected to serve. It wasn't even on my mind. You know, I, I wasn't even sure missionaries were sent there. So I, w- I was very shocked. And it took me uh, <laughs> probably an hour or so to really get warmed up to the idea. You know, but I, I, but I can tell you, Nick, probably once the shock wore off and I, I really uh, thought about it, it just really hit me uh, spiritually. Um, it felt like a, a, a big weight came down on me where I just really felt like this was an inspired call and this was meant to be. And, and so even though I was, I was shocked and caught off guard and, and, you know, even a little bit concerned, uh, <laughs> with the mission call, um, Con- I, I concerned need, in what way? Well, just, uh, considering what part of the world it was in Armenia borders, Iran, for instance, it's right beneath Russia. Um, it's to the east of Turkey, you know, it, it's situated right in kind of Eastern Europe, but just right next to the Middle East. And so like looking on a map, at least the map they provided me originally, um, it has Armenia and it's just right next to Iran. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe a bunch of other countries that, uh, uh, <laughs> are kind of known for more of their instability or, uh, the, the danger that might be there. And, um, but I immediately got uh, a very strong sense of peace and a, a, a powerful confirmation that this call was inspired and uh, that this is going to do me a lot of good and it's going to do a lot of good for maybe the people that I'll be able to reach out to and, and serve while I'm there. Now, you you started to learn the language a little bit. Yeah. So the MTC actually, uh, at least from what I understand, within the past maybe seven months or, or less than a year, uh, they have been offering kind of an experimental uh, program for certain languages and certain missions where an instructor from the MTC, uh, the instructor that you'll work with when you're there, you can uh, set up Skype calls with them and you can be tutored in the language before you even enter the MTC. That is so cool. Yeah. So I, uh, I have my own tutor or, you know, um, he's a, he's a former missionary from Armenia. Uh, He served there and got back just, uh, I want to say within a year. And um, he's, you know, attending school in, in Provo right now, but uh, he's also able to uh, work and tutor some individuals uh, through the MTC. So I have meetings with him uh, multiple times a week. Actually, I'll, ha- I'll have a lesson uh, once we get done with this episode. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be able to get several weeks in of, uh, of, of instruction 
uh, before I even get to the MTC. And I'll I'll be in the MTC for nine weeks uh, wow. to further study Armenian. Um, so it's been great so far. Uh, today I was able to finish memorizing the Armenian alphabet. It has 39 different letters. And so, you know, I'll probably be tested on that later tonight. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel really fortunate to be able to get some instruction already. And, and my hope is that by the time I enter the MTC, I'll maybe be able to get some basic grammar concepts down. You know, I can get some a little bit of vocabulary in there and I can just get a running head start into nine weeks of, of heavy instruction. Yeah. Is there a Book of Mormon in Armenian? Yeah. Um, and uh, so I was able to, to buy a copy um, at uh, Deseret Book um, last time I was in Utah. And so I have my own Armenian Book of Mormon and uh, coming up, I'll be able to, to practice more with that and <laughs> really get familiar with it. Yeah, very cool. So you you still have a little bit to go, and, and man, nine weeks in the MTC. Yeah. That's a that's a hefty uh, bit of time in the MTC. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> are you are you do you have any expectations about what you might be experiencing there as far as the missionary work in a unique way? Well, um, you know, for the longest time, my uh, engagement with the restored gospel has been largely, you know, it's definitely, it definitely has been, hasn't been devoid of spirituality, right? But uh, it's been very intellectual. It's been academic, and it's been, you know, uh, like my my gospel study. Uh, when I'm not reading the scriptures, right, it's engaged in a lot of uh, reading, a lot of scholarly literature, right? And I might have to, you know, rely on. You know, a lot of times I rely on academic sources and, and you know, professionals and just individuals who are experts in their field about different aspects of maybe Latter-day Saint history or doctrine or, you know, what have you. So stepping into the MTC and just mission life in general, I will be kind of stepping away from the academic and stepping into more of the devotional um, and more of the pastoral. And so that will be a different experience uh, for me to just, uh, you know, take a break from uh, the, the longer, you know, the, 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 the complicated, uh, uh, books and, you know, all kinds of research projects and, and things like that. And, uh, just engage myself fully in the gospel, um, and just a, a very simple sense, uh, but a very powerful sense, right? Yeah. Ministering. Um, You're going to be ministering. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I, I plan on, uh, engaging with academia really for the rest of my life. So I, I'm looking forward to devoting several years where I can have a different experience than what I'll be doing the rest of my life, right? Yeah. And so even though that might be, you know, a bit foreign to how I've operated and engaged the gospel thus far, I think it's going to be a very meaningful experience. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, uh, I, I joke and, and say that I'm taking a vow of renunciation from academics and, you know, LDS scholars. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a different experience. But it's it's one that I need in my life, and it's one that I think is just going to increase my 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 understanding and my testimony of the gospel. Really, I, I just hope to be able to, like you said, minister to people on a more effective level. Just you know, devoid of all the scholarship and all the complicated stuff, and just speak to people with the spirit and with the very plain and precious and, and simple truths. And you know, I'm I'm also grateful that I'm I'm called to uh, such a such a different language um, with Armenian. It's it's definitely going to humble me on a on a linguistic sense, right? Uh, Sounds <laughs> where like it. I, I, yeah, I won't be able to rely on kind of my own 
abilities to explain things in a very complicated sense, right? Again, I'll just be uh, teaching people in a very simple way. And uh, I just look forward to that. I think it's going to be a very good experience for me. And it's hopefully it's what other people need as well. Um, And I'll benefit some people there. Fantastic. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck. And if you should so choose to keep us on your email list while you're gone, we would uh, gladly post any updates from your mission experiences on our blog at LDS Mission Cast. We've done that with uh, some other missionaries, and we think that it would be fun if you wanted to contribute to that, but no pressure. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. So, um, excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your very unique path through some some complicated history, some complicated doctrine, and being able to experience this whole challenge of navigating many worldviews, you're going to have some interesting challenges there in, in your mission for sure, but it sounds like you're very well prepared for that, and that's uh, that's a rare blessing. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it, and uh, you know, once again, I just consider it, I'm very grateful for both the call that I've been able to have, but then also... Um, the experiences that I, I really feel like have prepared me for this particular mission. Yeah. You know, I, I, I definitely feel like there was uh, the, the hand of providence involved in that. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to be able to step into the field and, and just really be a representative of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and the restored gospel that, that uh, he's established on the earth. You know, it's it's impacted my life and offered me so many blessings on on so many different levels and you know i I'd, I'd love for nothing more than to be able to to offer and kind of extend that that same understanding and and you know those same truths to those that i talk to in the mission field so you know i, I can't wait for it i think it's going to be great awesome best of luck to you thank you so much appreciate it Wow, I was so grateful to have that interview. What an incredible young man. It was actually pretty neat for me to hear that some of the previous podcasting work I had done years ago with Fair Mormon has actually kind of played a role in building the missionary effort now. There are so many people that are so engaged, actually, in his missionary effort that are unlikely due to his interfaith work. He actually shared with me in a Facebook message a little bit after we finished recording our interview. He said, A pastor friend of mine will be hanging up a picture of me in his church so that his United Church of Christ congregation can pray for me weekly while I'm on my mission. What a cool experience for this young man to be so influential with so many people and sharing the gospel message at such a young age. And Here are people that because of the outreach efforts that he's done, his interfaith work, and holding hands with one another, our fellow brothers and sisters in this world, that we've been able to see love, unity, and support even from different faiths. It's such a remarkable story, and he's going to be a remarkable missionary to follow. So make sure to check in with our Latter-day Saint Mission Cast blog at ldsmissioncast.com. It looks like he's willing and should be sending us letters coming up here in the next month when he starts entering the MTC and going through that whole experience. So stay tuned to that and make sure to read his weekly updates along with the other missionaries that we have serving in Taiwan and in Canada. And now we have one that's going to be reporting from Armenia. It's so exciting and we hope to get more people on the podcast to share their experiences and how they're preparing to serve a mission and 
wonderful spirit that they bring to the missionary work in this the latter days. Thank you again for listening to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, and please feel free to share it with the people that you know that would be most interested with this podcast. We hope you stay subscribed to us, the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Thank you again for listening, and we'll tune in with you next time.